Welcome back, fellow members of the post-apocalyptic wasteland where all we see is dust and unpainted plastic. <laughs> we are back for another episode of Trapped Under Plastic. Oh, and here we are. It's here we like, are. It's like a Mountain Dew ad every time I look back and watch the previous episodes because there's just so many free shots of... Yeah, product. not a sponsor, but... Yeah. Kind of a sponsor. <laughs> We're back from the episode of Trapped Under Plastic, the podcast for the miniature hobby enthusiast. And we got some extra info today before we start diving into our typical format for the podcast. Uh, in last episode, we talked about 3D printing and our experience with it. And we got some some backlash. I mean, as far as, as, far as backlash goes, it's fairly tame for internet like personalities but some people were said that we were making it harder than it seemed and that that uh that made john want to do something john what did you do about that um yeah i mean i or okay long story short i ordered a miniature on etsy from a person that is a i guess you'd call a professional 3d printer they okay. had like over two thousand um positive reviews on etsy and all that's they a do, lot yeah and all they do is uh, sell 3d prints um and so there it's a resin printed model it's an artisan guild guild model so it's a high quality one and mm -hmm. with all the high reviews and everything i'm like i did i tried to get like the best one i could buy okay um and after shipping and this was from the u.s after shipping it was 13 dollars and 50 cents okay and I was a little bit perturbed by that dollar amount. Why? Because I could buy a character model from Games Workshop for $15. No, you can't. <laughs> sure I can on eBay. No, you can't. The, oh, sure, on eBay. But the new stuff in store, like well, yeah, the plastic boosters, costs like 20 to 30 bucks. It's, don't it's new. In, I'm talking new in box, 15 bucks, broski. Okay, yeah. You can buy like characters that get split off from like starter sets for like ten to fifteen dollars. But like if you were to take if you were to look for a, like a space marine whatever, a commander that is sold in a blister and you were to go on eBay and find it in that same blister, are you telling me that it'd be fifty percent off? Like forty percent off? No, but like like the standard characters of like you're on a thirty two mil base. Okay. In a in a box right now, I well, many of them are twenty five bucks. Most of them are twenty five bucks. Okay. And you can go and buy them from stores, brand new in box for under twenty. So maybe fifteen is a little bit of a stretch. Okay. So I think around eighteen fifty is what I pay free shipping. Okay, so it's close to a GW cost when you buy it aftermarket at a third party retailer. Yeah, but that's that's like a, that's not one dude selling it at that price. That's the consistent going rate that's the okay. that's the mark down max markdown gw allows okay okay did this person do they do the supporting of the models if there if there aren't obviously they would have to if the models didn't come pre-supported correct like they're putting in that labor i don't know i i don't know if they're doing auto supports or or what how they're okay doing that but they're just taking the stl files i mean they're they're physically taking off the supports i assume it doesn't come in the mail with the supports still on. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> um, okay. But I, so, you're guaranteed I'm going to have to clean 
those spots. I'm sure they yeah, don't. Yeah, possibly a little bit. Okay, and, and so you're doing this to, to do a little quality check on 3D printing and also to kind of go through the process of what someone might go through if they didn't have a 3D printer or they didn't want to put in the time to deal with the troubleshooting of the device and stuff like that, right? Yeah. I mean, here's the thing with the with the comments in the backlash, and most of it was is it was aimed at me, which is fine. I understand that. Sometimes my wife tells me I I get a bit um, opinion, opinionated, and I, I get a little bit overreacting in my opinion. I didn't okay. mean to say that 3D printers are garbage and everything they print is garbage. I think that's <laughs> what a lot of people heard. That's not what I meant to say. What I but what. I'm also not apologizing. I still stand by the fact that they're not that they're not as good a quality as as a lot of folks are claiming. Now, sure. I, I will be the first if this comes back and I'm going to paint it. If this comes back and it's great quality and it's not even head to head GW, but pretty close. I mean, I'll eat my words. But a lot of folks are saying that that you we don't know what the heck we're talking about their, their quality is amazing and never have issues it never breaks okay i have four very close friends that have had multiple 3d printers each for going on i think the first one was bought seven years ago and these are guys i play D with every week i know how these things work i hear the <laughs> horror stories i'm over there helping them recalibrate stuff i've seen all the money they've spent on new parts now some of those are stl printers most of them Two of them have new resin printers. I haven't heard as much about breakdown on those. Um, but in terms of getting the at the actual quality on an Elgu Mars, I it is not it has not been there. Now, they're smart guys. They know this stuff. I, I would they spend a lot of time. This is like a major hobby of theirs. I trust that they know what they're doing and they're not just crappy at it. That's where I'm coming from. I'm not just saying I've never been exposed to a 3D printer and you know, and then I'm just making wild claims. This is firsthand experience. This is painting models he's printed on his Elgu Mars. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're solid. They're not amazing. They're not $13.50 compared to $18.50 for GW. But, okay. um, I mean, I, I, but I stand, I could be stand corrected when I get this one in the mail. I, you know, I hope I'm wrong. And I also, I also don't think we're that many years removed of it. Really that gap being closed entirely. Okay. Um, I think when John was saying STL, he meant FDM printers, not STL printers. Yeah, yeah, FDM uh, printers. See, it tells you how much I know. Yeah, STL um, files. Yeah, I don't think I don't think everyone was hating on you. I think they were they were saying that what we were saying in general, uh, was was uh, we were making it harder to be than it actually was. And I also stand by what I said. I listened back to the podcast just to make sure I wasn't being ridiculous. And you know, I, I have the Photon Anticubic S, the the new one, Anticubic Photon S. And I have been through lots of troubleshooting with it. And I, you know, use, uh, I place my own manual support. I use the photon validator to, to fix that. I go through multiple resin exposure tests to make sure I'm using the right exposure for like the kind of resin I use and the layer height that I use. So I didn't just print two models and then say, this is, this is difficult. Like I, I've printed 20 to 30 minis and, you know, I've come to the resolution that I'm a lazy piece of shit <laughs> and I don't, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to deal with it. It is, um, it is a hobby in and of itself. And there's a lot of hours invested to, to, to deal with that. And so, mm -hmm. um, the other thing too is, um, folks are passionate about their hobbies and things that they're, they love. I mean, there's a reason why, 
podcasts like this exist and YouTube channels exist. And it's not because mm. people don't care all that much. They'll go out of their way for good content related to their hobby. So when, when we say things that in our head didn't seem like we were bashing it too bad, in it, from the perspective of the listener, it could have been perceived more harsh because it's something sure. they really care about. So it's just like us, you know, going to a, a mini convention and there's somebody outside saying, what is this toys? This is an art. This look at this. I mean, this is not even well painted and uh, yeah, look at this. Well, yeah, look at somebody painting on a canvas. It's way better than your stuff that you guys do. Of course we'd take offense. Of course we would be, be like, you don't know what the heck you're talking about. You've not, you've never done this, blah, blah, blah. So I get that. I get that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully that clears up some of those uh, thoughts and comments about 3D printing. Maybe it doesn't. Who knows? Um, <laughs> we're just going to make it worse. I yeah, we're, just, we're just feeding the fire right now. I, I didn't even want to bring... Part of me didn't want to even bring it up again. But then I kind of got this thought in my head and I went down the track of spending a bunch of time trying to find a minis to buy. And so once I got that far down and I bought one, I'm like, all right, well, we got to talk about it. So Yeah. Okay. I, I will say this. Um I have gotten 3D printed models that are used for masters for resin casts. I think I showed you uh, these when you were over one time. It was the person with the wings, and I can put up a picture of it right now. But whatever printer that company used to print those models, whether it was like a Form Labs uh, printer or even a more expensive one, it looks better than a resin cast. Mm -hmm. The detail is even crispier. Um, but those aren't consumer level resin printers. But what that implies about resin printing is that over time, uh, the consumer versions will become better and better and more like the prosumer and professional uh, options Yeah. as tech ad advances. Um, and there are th certain things that 3D printers can do that resin casts can't do, certain types of detail. We met a company at Adepticon, I'm not sure if it was last year or the year before, that... Uh, is looking to sell their miniatures uh, via 3D printing using a, a farm of, of printers that they develop instead of resin casting because various details can only be captured with a 3D printer as opposed to resin casting. Um, so, which I talked about that. That was an interesting company. Can't remember their name, but that would have been, I think it's definitely in the future because um, it's, it's better in a lot of ways. I think the more um, economically viable this system is so this miniature based system is the more money is available out there the more we're going to see um, companies like them that had a booth at a miniature convention that mm -hmm. are really focusing on this aspect of the 3d printing space um, and there's money here and there and there certainly is when we're talking about dungeons and dragons we're talking about mini war games um, we're talking about gaming in general board games all that kind of stuff there's there's a there's a market there so I, and I think you hit on something important there too, is that what, what is the $5,000 printer today will be the $500 printer in a year or 18 months or whatever, three years. I don't know what the exact timeline, but you know what I'm saying? It's right. It's, it's like, right. A, it's like a computer, right? You know, mm -hmm. the, the hottest GeForce video card, um, in five years from now will be $120. All right. Let's talk about what we painted. Um, I didn't paint anything. Uh, I sculpted something instead. So uh, the, uh, the last two weeks between now and since we've recorded the last one, because we've been recording these every two weeks as opposed to once a month, um, I sculpted a miniature. Uh, I think it's a Kako Demon. 
Careful. Uh, from, Careful. What? What do you mean? What? Oh, cock demon. Yeah. I was like, you're saying? I, I was like, well, I thought uh, Kingdom Death were the only ones that could sculpt <laughs> cock demons. <laughs> <laughs> um, I played through Doom Eternal. Big fan of the game, and I wanted to sculpt something. Uh, for a video and I figured I'd pick something that wasn't humanoid looking because that can be uh, a very large complication in and of itself just getting the dimensions of the human figure correct the lengths of their arms legs head neck and stuff like that so I was like let's just paint a giant demon sphere uh, which is what a (laughs) caco demon is um yeah so i had a lot of fun with that i think it turned out pretty good um i surprised myself it's not anything that i would buy ever from anyone (laughs) uh so it's not like i'm not saying that i'm amazing but i just surprised myself that didn't look like a heap of trash uh when i was done with it yeah it it looked way better than i i i would have expected for your first thing sculpted and thank you i've not sculpted anything like from scratch like that before either so i wouldn't even know i you were smart though because if you the human eye immediately can gather if something's off in the human form. Mm-hmm. And so it's all about ratios, right? It's just right. the same reason why at your face, a face is more um, visually appealing if it's perfectly symmetrical. And one of the way, ways that we can measure how beautiful somebody is, is how symmetrical their face is and how their proportions line up. Some mm. interesting stuff on that. So I, I think you're smart there because I would have done something like the legs would have been like too long and then their torso would have been way too short and then just looked <laughs> T-Rex arms. Yeah, it just, I mean, <laughs> I, I meant for it to look this way, for the demon to be kind of distorted this way and, you know, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, but also, I, I, other than just sculpting, I was also editing a short that John and I and Sam and a few other people shot in October of 2019 so a long time ago and i figured now is the time to release it um not for any particular reason but (laughs) i just i just wanted to edit it um but it was good timing because sam came out with a patreon this past week and the source released some kind of online sales thing so in terms of like advertising for them in a a good capacity um it was good that i released it now because now you can learn about those things so i'm going to link them in the video but yeah so we did a skit that the idea, the elevator pitch was Rex Quando from Napoleon Dynamite, but for miniature painting. Yes. And like that's that's it. Um and Sam is just the perfect person for that kind of character, <laughs> right? It, he has a wrestler persona, yeah. like and he absolutely crushed it. Um it's, and it was a fun experience. It was the greatest combination of like over the top machismo and just almost slapsticky kind of character, which really is in a lot of ways what professional wrestling is. Yeah. Um, and so I was just kind of going back and reminiscing about that weekend um, of Sam being uh, here and a shooting. And uh, it was so funny because the, for the, like he was there for over 24 hours prior to the, the evening of the shoot. Yeah, and he was shooting. Uh, he was doing a class. Yeah, he was doing a class, um, and then we shot that episode of the the podcast. You remember way back then, mm-hmm. we did that when he was here, and all leading up to the the night of the shoot, he was on and off 
he was flex Quando. like he would just talk like him and act like him and walk around he was making the character throughout the weekend because we would just chat about like okay like what would what kinds of silly things would he do like what is his how would he arrive and what kinds of things would he say to these like he would come up with stuff and it was just so much fun because we didn't sit and do like the structured workshop we just made it part of the weekend and by the time we got to the shoot like all the questions were answered sam was flex yeah he's like a method actor like daniel like daniel day lewis he just he just enters the character and doesn't leave it for the entire weekend all right. Yeah, um, yeah, he was Daniel Day Spruis. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of fun to do that skit for a number of reasons for myself. Uh, because this time, I've never done a skit where there was really really more than one real actor. It's always been one actor. So there was, there was three in that, plus three or four, four extras. My wife, two of my patrons, and then Dan from The Source. So that was super cool. There was a costume. We actually had a costume. That was uh, part of it was custom fabricated, and the other part was we sourced from like Amazon and resale shops. So that was cool. There was a location, uh, so we got to go to location, and there was there was I mean, I'm stretching this term a bit, but there was catering. Yes, there was pizza. You could eat the pizza. I was like, this feels like a real thing. It was. Um, It was. There was times when we were when we were shooting two different scenes at the same time. Yeah, different spots of the store for efficiency. Yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, it was legit. It was. I think everybody stepped up and helped out however they could. Yeah. And um, the 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 director of photography was he was so key to this yeah, whole Alex thing. Alex great. Alex yeah. was a great dude and I mean he was on top of things where most of us were running around and you were overwhelmed by thinking of every detail at the same time. Yeah. Um so to be able to delegate and have him kind of be like, "All right, I'm going to go do this." And that that helped you I think a lot in the process um of what was an overwhelming night. I mean, we didn't get out oh, of there yeah. till gosh, it was almost 3 in the morning. Yeah, it was super late. Uh, I was exhausted by the end. Um, but yeah, Alex is great. Like, uh, you and me and Sam had a meeting about the, the character of Flex Baraboo, which was his final name. Um, and like what, what it, what we wanted it to sound like and look like. And then me and Alex had one or two meetings writing the actual script where he came over and we just talked about different influences of, of the script and what it should sound like and what it should feel like. And we actually wrote the whole thing together and then I storyboarded it and then shot listed it for the order. Um, but he, he's, uh, he's super into making movies and shorts. So he was absolutely instrumental, but yeah, it was a lot of fun and it felt like I was a real boy. <laughs> so I guess the follow the, like the, the next question is, how how long till you're ready to shoot another one? I actually already we've already, me and Alex already shot another one. Oh, that's that is ready to be edited and it's not comedic at all. It's a drama actually. Um, it's it's a little sad, but it has an uplifting ending. Uh, so I'll edit that at some point in the future. I don't want to do it too close to this one because then people are gonna yell at me saying things like your channel is not a mini painting one anymore. <laughs> so. But yeah, at least, I, uh, at least this skit with Sam was very mini painting oriented, you know. Oh, I mean, they're all all the shorts are mini painting oriented, but if I don't paint a miniature in a video, people get a little antsy sometimes. Yeah, get a little antsy in the fancy. You don't want that. <laughs> Do you not want yes. that? Do not want that. That's what I did, John. How about you? 
Well, I first of all, I think if me finishing my basement doesn't count as hobby time, then you sculpting uh, and editing videos doesn't count. So sculpting record. doesn't count. <laughs> well, it's not mini painting, Scott. So uh-huh. <laughs> it kind of okay. it kind of counts. All right, what did <laughs> what the hell did I paint? What did I write down here? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so uh, a year and a half ago, Halloween time, we had a we have a Halloween party. We always go to some friend's house. And then um, it's kind of their place and like a bunch of their family and stuff is there. This is Josh's family. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when we have these parties that like they end at like 11 o'clock. And so if we're feeling spicy, we'll do an after party at our house where we just invite all the people that aren't old people over to our <laughs> house. And so we, um, this was Halloween 2018. Um, we invited a whole bunch of people over and we were playing board games and drinking and, and watching movies and, you know, listen to music and stuff. All at the same time. All at the same time. <laughs> I got board game movies and music. I want to stimulate every single sense. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Beer bongs, everything. Everything. <laughs> um and so we were getting pretty we were getting pretty hammered. We were playing a game that was n- new at the time, the Labyrinth, the board game. So Labyrinth mm-hmm. is in the movie. Okay. And this is kind of timely because the Labyrinth Kickstarter is now out. But we played the board game, which was actually a pretty fun game, a very interesting mechanic. I can't remember. I was super hammered, but it was seemed fun at the time. <laughs> and um, Josh's brother uh, owned the game, and his wife was there as well, and, and she is a huge fan of Lambert. And she's like, oh, would you paint Jareth for me? And I'm like, yeah, I'll paint Jareth for you. It'll be sweet, blah, blah, blah. So I took Jareth when they left. everybody left that night. I kept Jareth, and I'd had Jareth for, well, almost two years now. Um, so Jareth is needed to play the game. So I don't know what they use, just like a bottle cap or something to represent him. Um, and like, I remember like a week later, I actually looked at the mini again with non beer goggles <laughs> and it was so terrible. The sculpt is just so mushy. There's not a crisp line to be found on the thing. And I finally, the guilt hit me. Um, to paint the thing. So I painted it the, this week in about, uh, it's between an hour and a half and two hours I took to paint him, um, with whatever paints were already on my wet palette from what I had been painting prior. I didn't add any new paints and they were all kind of extra watery cause the lid was all the way closed. Mm, yeah. But there's something to be said about painting with whatever paints are just happened to be on your palette or happen to be within reach because. Okay. I, I, I actually pulled up a picture of Jareth from the movie and I painted him as best I could to look like the costume that he wears in the movie and not like getting all upset over trying to figure out what exact color do you make for that kind of cream fluffy shirt that he's wearing. And, and you know, the cloak is black, but it's not, there's just a hint of, of something that's not entirely black. And how do I make that? It's like, no, don't worry about that. Just, Mix some colors that are already on your palette and see how close you can get it. And then just paint the freaking model. Okay. So I did that. And then I also have uh, been working on this big guy here. This is for the, the Boner Boys um, terrain piece. And I painted it all as stone. Because the big thing is actually like wearing armor and stuff. But I think it would be... It's like a big like monolith of yeah, stone. Yeah, it's definitely stone. But there's not like stone lines on the actual armor itself of, uh, of the model. 
So it makes me feel like you're in everywhere I've seen it. It's seen it painted as actual armor. And I'm like, how dumb is that? Like, it's a big monolith. It shouldn't be like, we're going to build this giant stone structure and put real armor on it. Like <laughs> blacksmiths get to it. <laughs> I need you to scale up your normal operation by, I don't know, 15 times. <laughs> yeah. That's stupid. It, the box hearts painted like armor. Yes. Yep. What the heck? Yep. Yeah, and like the bone of his skull and the, and the arms are all painted like bones, too. It's like, what is this thing? This thing is not a real model in the range. It's a giant man. With giant four heads. boy. Like, I don't... I So I just painted it all that way. And I think it turned Hold out on. pretty cool. In the after party today, and when we talk about something that we've tried that's new, is related to this, and it's a way that I found to get some really cool color variation, not only in, like in stone in this case, but thing just like in anything okay. and it, it's super quick and super awesome and those in the after party will get to learn about it very cool very cool the after party is uh, the extended episode of the podcast that you can find by becoming a patron of trapped under plastic that's cool uh so there is more to that terrain piece right god like yes okay man i've been hearing about this thing for like three weeks man when's it gonna be done uh, I've just been painting other things and trying to learn how to ed- oh. edit videos. I spent oh, a, I spent an evening trying to learn how to edit video, and I just about cried. It was like yeah. this is so it was so overwhelming. Yeah, it should take you about an evening to learn how to edit videos. <laughs> no, it's not. I've, I am still learning constantly. So yeah, that and so that's kind of been hovering over my head. I finished um, an entire model all painted on video, and I'm like ah. I'm just going to go through and kind of like slap the basics, you know, s- slots together of the different sections. I hadn't, I hadn't uh, taped any of my, um, like my description and my stuff that I'm going to add as talking head kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I haven't done any of that, but I'm like, I can still pull the skeletal system together of this video. Sure. Uh, I was wrong. It is not so simple. It's just <laughs> slap it together. We'll have an editing sesh. I'll show you the basics. Or alternatively, I did write I did write a doc on how to edit this podcast that is in our shared Google Drive that you can just read and get some good insight into how I, I edit. I would do that, except I'm using I, I'm using DaVinci, but um, oh, never mind. Uh, I hear they there's a lot of apples to apples stuff, but when it gets down to the specific details of what tool and where it's located and everything, it's probably not quite so simple. Before we get going on the topic for this podcast, we have a sponsor that we want to shout out, and the name is Blood Carrot Knights. Yes, you heard it right. Blood Carrot Knights is a brand that creates standard scale, about 30 mil, 35 mil miniatures in the fantasy genre, and they also create busts in that same genre. Recently, they've released some pretty amazing miniatures, and now... I know they're a sponsor, so you feel like, uh, John and Scott, of course, you're going to say that. But when we checked out, checked out their site, we were blown away. These minis are pretty amazing. Um, they've got some crazy, crazy Minotaur minis, some awesome undead miniatures. Um, they have a bust of an undead knight that Scott and I are drooling over. And they yeah. also have some wild things like like a Rhinagore Ry- warrior. I don't know what a Rhinagore warrior is, but it sounds pretty amazing. And they have a crazy moose. It's literally called a crazy moose. Um, I wasn't so sure about this whole thing until I heard that, but now I'm sold. Blood Carrot Knights work with both traditional and 3D sculptors, and they work from awesome concept art that you guys can see decorating the boxes that the miniatures come in. 
As a group of mini sculptors and mini artists themselves, they really pride themselves on being a part of the larger community of the miniature painters that we all find ourselves a part of. Um, one way that they do that is they like to support the painters by sharing painted versions of their miniatures through social media and really helping folks learn about not only their amazing models, but about us as amazing painters, Scott. You can find all the awesome entries we talked about in this podcast linked in the description below to Blood Carrot Knight's site. Thank you for supporting this episode, Blood Carrot Knights. Now, back to assaulting your ear canals. All right, so our topic for discussion today, which comes to us by Anthony Rossi. <laughs> I think we should sing all the names. <laughs> yes. From now on. His name just spoke to me as something that you sing. You don't say it. You don't. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I wonder if he gets that a lot. Yeah. People just singing his name constantly. Like his teachers in uh, grade school and high yeah. school always sung his name when they were doing like roll call. They're just like, Anthony Rossi. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. What the, oh, what is What did, what did Anthony Rossi have us talk about today? Um, oh, his, his question was, uh, what should a quality standard be for tabletop minis? Um, and so we kind of decided, uh, our, that there's a lot we can talk about this, and one one aspect that I kind of got on a side note would be what even is tabletop standard anyway, dude? What? I took some some notes, so I am ready. I got my notes here in front of me about what I wanted to discuss. I'm like a real podcaster. You are. All right, all right, Scott Rogan, tell me. Um, I think the first thing that about TTS, which is how it's abbreviated, is that it's a self-defined thing, right? Sure. So a lot of people like to define it, or maybe not, maybe not TTS specifically, but like for tournaments, as like a three-color system, where it's like if you've got three colors on your miniature, then it's tabletop standard. I've heard of that kind of thing, but I think it's definitely, it's like if if there was a scale of zero to ten of your skill level as a miniature painter, where ten is the best you can do and zero is just you didn't even put paint on the miniature. Mm -hmm. TTS is like a four, you know, it's like somewhere in there. So you're not painting as good as you can, but it's, it's, it's just the, that level of effort. And for every single person that's different, my version of TTS is going to be different than Kirill Kanaev. He's going to blow me out of the water. It's because his, his 10 is way higher than than what my 10 is. So that's the first thing we should probably say. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm you disagree. You disagree. I disagree. In theory, that Kirill's <laughs> TTS is better than yours. Okay. Because uh, the way I look at it is my 10, whatever, wherever, whatever my version of 10 is, doesn't mean just because I'm good at my highest that I'm equally good when trying to get something done fast and cool for the table. Okay. Some folks that, I mean, there's a lot of folks, especially a lot of amazing European painters, they don't paint a TTS ever. They just don't. That you only paint for display. You only paint for high, high quality. And so if you told them, like, look, uh, you need to play this army this weekend, so you need to get uh, five Primaris dudes done a night, and you get two hours to do it because you got kids, and you got a day job, and you got a wife, and you got to make supper, and you got to read bedtime stories, uh, and then you got to watch the latest version of, of The Bachelor, whatever crap TV you watch with your wife. Like, <laughs> Do it. Go, buddy. See what you can do. It's not so simple. It's not so simple. Yeah, it's a skill in and of itself. It but is. 
what I will say is that the skills that a, a display painter have has were English words <laughs> hard drive it's spinning up here um the skills they have I think a lot of them are probably translatable to speed painting but it is a skill in and of itself and if they haven't ever thought about it they're definitely going to be floundering in the beginning but once they find their footing in process I think they're going to really easily fall into a high quality speed paint it's not I don't know if it's like can I make this argument to get a great display standard is not or it is more difficult than to get a great speed painted standard. I think speed painting is more about knowing the tricks than it is about knowing like uh, maybe the artistic reasons why a display model looks good or bad. Is that it? Can I can I say that or is that not true? I think I think it's true. I think it's true because okay. you're, with the speed painting, when we're assuming a speed painting, we're assuming then that you have a restriction on time, whether it's self-imposed sure. or it's a hard and fast restriction on time. And therefore, you don't have this infinite possibilities of all we need you to do is make the best possible thing. You have okay. that restriction. Whereas painting to the highest possible standard you don't have that restriction it's the only limitations are what you're capable of and that's that's a pretty tough pill to swallow <laughs> um because there's only like I, I still think there's some kind of a ceiling in speed painting it's a 90 minute speed paint challenge there's some kind of limit there that just the time restriction cannot make it any better than this whatever this is so don't okay. feel like it needs to be the most amazing thing ever because you have that restriction in place okay Okay. I wanted to so, talk yeah. I wanted to talk real quick when you talked about the TTS in the kind of the origins there. That's one of the first things I thought about too is the labeling. So a tabletop standard I, if, as far as I could find the origin of that term deals with tournament play. The three color minimum tournament play. So right. you're required to have a minimum of three colors, three separate colors on the model and black doesn't count. Um, and so I think it all originated from there. And somehow we, we take some slightly higher level, level version of that minimum is what we declare as tabletop standard, as colors on the model that they don't look like complete garbage. You put some time into it, but you're able to accomplish um, and still be productive in getting your models painted for your army. But there's not a lot of definition beyond that. And that's this whole gray zone where you talked about to each of us, it's different to each of us. It's unique. And so mm -hmm. that's where my brain went to what even is tabletop standard? Does mm -hmm. it help us to define it further than that? Or is that a waste of time? And instead we talk about this general idea of it and, and kind of massage that a bit. Yeah. Um, I don't know. One thing I want to be clear about it, earlier when I said that it's more difficult to be a good display painter than it is to be a good speed painter. I'm not saying that I'm a perfect speed painter and that there aren't things to learn about all the time in the hobby. I wasn't trying to make that claim. I want to just clear that up before I move on. So I don't get, I don't get pooped on in the comments for it. Um, Cause definitely there is an art to speed painting and there mm -hmm. are, there are considerations that I've, I've never had that I've heard from other people like, uh, 
minimizing the amount of time that you pick up and put down models. Uh, there was this speed painting article I read a while back uh, where it was like the person glued five models they were painting to a stick so they would limit the amount of time they were picking up a model and putting it down and they were all five were just in front of them at all times and it was like that level of efficiency kind of blew my mind um so always things to learn about every aspect of the hobby um so yeah um wow what was your question (laughs) i totally forgot um should we spend time trying to really Uh, define what 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 that means or let's can we come up with our own kind of abridged version of what we're talking about here so folks aren't floundering through the rest of this discussion i feel like abridged is not the name of our game um (laughs) true we are long and overstepping our boundaries and no i'm just kidding um i think there's value in defining it because for a lot of people the concept of not painting as good as you are able to paint is an, a new idea. And this is one of the things I had written down is that saying that I painted X in TTS implies that you are not painting as good as you are able to paint for the sake of expediency, which uh, is not a beginner skill to do. Like when I was little and I was painting miniatures and even a while into when I was in high school and painting for like four or five years, I only painted one way, which was the only way I knew how to paint the best way that I could. Um, I didn't know how hard I could try and I didn't know how much I could cut. I just painted in that one way. So defining it and saying that TTS is a standard that you paint in where you intentionally don't paint as good as you are able to might be helpful to certain people because it's like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that was okay to do. Um, so I think it's good to talk about that. Um, but also, if you're a beginner and you're, and you're listening to this and you're like, man, I struggle with base coating and stuff like that. How do I even begin to paint something in a TTS style? Just don't worry about it. You don't need to do that. Yeah. Get a hold of your basics first before you start worrying about, okay, how can I cut steps to save time? I wanted to say that. Yeah. I, I I think that's a good point. I think the one of the cores to a TTS kind of um, definition is that some form of self-imposed time limit. Um, okay. And so huh. it's it could be a time limit on... It, it could be very defined. It could say, I need to get this army all painted by uh, next weekend so I can play it in the tournament. Or it could be... I just know that I've got a whole total of 140 models in this army and I can't spend too much time in any given one of them. It can be as generic as that because I know I'm never going to get them all done. If I just want to spend three weeks per model to, to make sure it's, it's perfect or it's as good as I can do. Um, but you, you impose that time limit in some regard and you try to get it to look as cool as you can in that time limit. And that's why not all TTS is the same, right? If TTS was strictly three colors and who could put three colors on, there wouldn't be a lot of difference between my three colors and your three colors and whoever else's three colors. So there is a big variance in quality in TTS. Hmm. Okay. Um, So it sounded like you're making the claim that between person A and person B, their tabletop standard is going to change based on the time limit they are imposing on 
themselves. So if person A has a time limit of 30 minutes and person B has a time limit of two hours, that's what's going to be the main driving factor in the difference in paint job. Is that accurate to what you said or no? I, I think it's a factor, but I don't think it's the most important factor for final quality. I think okay. simply hours put in, right? And anything we do, the more hours you put in, the the, the more proficient you are in a given time frame. So okay. if, you, if you put in your 10,000 hours, your one hour of paint job will look much better than the person that has put in 100 hours, their one hour paint job. Sure, absolutely, yeah. And so okay. it, it, it's it's a it's a muscle that needs to be exercised, just like painting a hundred and fifty hour like display model is a, a muscle that needs to be exercised. Understanding how to make the most of that time, what things matter, what things don't. Quit painting the boots, Scott. Right? <laughs> you know, there are those kinds of things that you will learn quickly if you spend more time and you're very proactive in the process, as someone wise once said. Um, on that process. <laughs> someone wise. I we won't say who, but it was someone. It could have been Gandalf. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> could have been Jesus or Gandalf, you know. No, it was John Nenas. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, would you say that the ability to paint in a TTS way comes with painting maturity? Mm, what do you mean by maturity? Well, you just made the reference to painting the boots. And the reference, you know, means that you know, you don't need to paint every single part of the miniature amazingly. Certain details like the upper body and the face and the shoulders and details close to the face can be painted nicely. But like the bottom of his, you know, legs and his boots and maybe behind him, um, they don't need to be painted that nicely. And and that like uh, someone who thinks that every single part of the miniature, including like the crotch needs to be painted nicely, could you know, that might be considered painting naivete so maturity is like knowing that not every part needs to be perfect okay or is that not maturity is that just i don't think you're using the right word but oh, no. I, I get what you're saying i get what you're saying i don't i think it's um uh, what's a better way to describe that um intentionality maybe that okay. and not even intentionality in when you're sitting there and painting but being intentional about wanting to learn what makes a two hour paint job look better than somebody else's two hour paint job. And so it's, it's education. And so it's educating yourself and watching those videos and reading those articles and maybe taking painting classes or going on Twitch streams and asking the, the Twitch streamer, um, you know, why did you do this the way you did and to get these five space Marines done? Um, what were the most important steps? You know, that's about educating yourself about this specific style of painting to get better at it because someone can just simply keep painting their white scars, you know, spray painted all white and then trying to get the black line better. You know, it's like, well, once I get better, I do more white scars. I'll, I'll have the black line better and it'll look better. Is that really going to be the biggest difference maker to making okay. your white scars look better? I'd say no. So okay um another important thing about tabletop standard is that it's constantly changing 
So you as an individual are constantly improving, so your version of TTS is going to change as you learn how to speed paint better, as you learn how to paint display models better. They're all going to influence the way that you paint quickly. Um, so that's kind of a, a moving target as well. And a good point that you made earlier before we started recording this, John, was that it, it also changes based on the subject of what you're painting. Um, whether you're painting uh, tactical marines in a 2,000-point in armory or whether you're painting a character for a D&D campaign, you might paint something to a tabletop standard more differently, uh, differently depending on what it is and how many of that thing you are painting, etc., yeah, yeah. If I'm if I'm doing the goobs eighty goblins approach, mm. those goobs eighty goblins tabletop standard are going to be different than me painting my D and D character that I'm going to be playing for the next one to three years in a campaign. I'm not going to spend a hundred hours on him, but my version of where I he falls in the tabletop standard scale will be at a different spot than eighty gobos. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that's. That's that's a really important factor here is that when you say tabletop standard, it's not a blanket statement that everything you paint speedily is, should all be the same, same amount of effort, same amount of time, same amount of quality. I think that's an important thing. Okay. Um, you mentioned an interesting thing before we were recording this as well. I mean, so the question is, is why does TTS exist? Because of a time limitation. Well, okay, let's let's dig deeper into that. There is this notion that people want to have their armies painted, even if they're not necessarily interested in miniature painting so much. There's a sense of pride and also accomplishment from having a painted army. Mm. Um, and also the opposite of that is there might be a sense of shame for not having a, a painted army, whether it's felt by the person who owns that army or if it's uh, – felt by the person who's playing against someone who has a great army and they're shaming their opponent. Mm. Uh, and I want to talk about that. That's, that's really interesting to me. Uh, so maybe a stupid question is, is it ever appropriate to shame someone for not having their army painted? I mean, like openly or not openly. That's a stupid question because the answer is no, right? Like, no. Oh, I think there is a good amount of razzing that is a lot yeah, ribbing yeah 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 right okay because every time and i i'm not exaggerating when i say every time every time <laughs> i go into my local game store to play a game of age of sigmar one of the owners will come over and without fail say hey this guy's won painting awards look at his army they're all gray then he just walks away <laughs> <laughs> oh my god every time every time and I don't, because we're friends. I know him well. It's okay. I, I mean, it, and you know what? I give my buddies crap too. I mean that. Sure. Yeah. 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 And, and you, sh I think there's a healthy amount of that that's allowed, and and, and I do it in a way that because you know we're we're guys. Guys like guys. That's how guys show they care to their friends. <laughs> you know, you show your care. You show that they mean something to you because you give them crap. That's just one way that guys do that. <laughs> Not every guy, not every culture, but I don't know. American men seem to, to do that. That's right. Um, and, uh, and so I think that is like, I want your army to be painted. I want you to have a buddy right now. He just texted me this morning. He's got 140 unpainted skinks on his table right now. <sighs> and I'm like, dude, I, I gave him a couple tips. I've been giving him tips for uh, 18 months. Um, 
I'm not even joking about that timeline either. Um, <laughs> he's had this kinks on his table for 18 months. <laughs> he's, he's had this army. He's been collecting this army for almost two years, and not a single oh. it's not a single model is painted. And he hasn't painted anything else either. Sorry, Blair. Oh, jeez. Um, oh, <laughs> but I, I give him a lot of crap because I want his stuff painted because he really loves the game, and he really, really likes to play. And he really was, is a person that fosters our community well. He runs local tournaments and stuff. And so I want him to get over that hurdle. And I think what happens is where tabletop standard can really come into play is taking some of that burden off your shoulders of expectations of it's great, it's grand, it's perfect. 140 painted skinks are going to look cool because they're all painted and there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. It, no one's ever going to just go and pick up any specific one and analyze it to the nth degree. It, mm, I will. <laughs> Blair, I'm coming for you. <laughs> I'm coming for that skink number 114. <laughs> <laughs> if it is not amazing, they're all going to destroy it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's about the shame question, though. Is it healthy for an individual to feel shame about their own army not being painted? What are you thinking about that? Mm, I don't think so as long as you have good intentions. I don't think you should feel ashamed as long as you know, I I want it painted. I'm making active steps to get it painted, you know, or I'm saving money to send it to have somebody else paint it. Like all of those things are, are just fine. I imagine there's not a lot of people listening to this podcast that just pay people to paint all their minis. I would be surprised, but... Yeah, there's probably some, but yeah, definitely in the minority. Um, but, and even so, that's awesome. Just send them all to Scott. He'll plan them in seven years. Longer at this point, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think that if you have good intentions and you're making progress, you shouldn't feel shameful. And if, you know, if people are razzing you and it's getting to you because you are feeling your own kind of weight on your shoulders and people are giving you a hard time, um, then just let them know and be like, Hey, I know, I know I'm trying, I'm doing my best. I I'll get there. I'm just, you know, whatever reasons, you know, in my life. right You now. know, as a society in general, this Jeez. is getting way deeper and I hate that phrase, but I'm, I'm, I'm using it. I believe. Okay. As a society, we are very bad at communicating what we feel in a way that will not offend someone else. So it's like, if someone's giving me crap about how my army's painted gray, like the, maybe the intention is to say, Hey, fuck you. Like you suck. Where in reality, it's like, Hey, I know they're not painted. It makes me feel bad that they're not painted. And you saying that just makes me feel a little bit worse. Cause that makes you look like a, you know, like a wuss. Right. Right. But if I feel like if you said that, that would just crush the other person entirely. Like, Oh my God, I had no idea. I'm sorry. So I just feel like, I don't know that, that, that made me think of that for some reason that I think there should, I said this to my wife, there should be a class in high school about communicating with your fellow humans, how to say things in the right way so they don't become your enemy and you convey your thought without upsetting someone. Um, but totally unrelated, but just a little thought I had right there. Uh, I think that shows some insight to you as a person. I know that you, um, you really don't want people to not like you. Uh, yeah, definitely. I don't want to ever say something that's going to upset someone. I, that, I hate that. And then when I do upset someone, I, I pounce on their head until it is resolved to the best of my ability that yeah. it can be resolved. Yeah. 
I mean, the tough thing is, is that sometimes it's just not your fault. Sometimes it was, it's something you shouldn't be worried about if someone was offended or if you hurt somebody's feelings. And then I think this, your example here is a prime, is a prime example of that. That person razzing you at the store, the store owner that comes over to me, if that hurts my feelings, that's not his intention. That's not what sure. he's doing. If I sit, sit back and say, you know what? I consider that person a friend. I know it's not meant to be hurtful. I know it's, it's just the way that we, we interact with each other and that I shouldn't take it so seriously or so, you know, so to heart and make it really affect me. And, and oftentimes it's very difficult because, you know, we go back and forth and, and joke on each other and give each other a hard time and stuff. But so when do I know what one time it wasn't okay. Another time it mm -hmm. was, it's difficult. This is, it's a, humans are complex animals, man. It's mm -hmm. not so simple. I think if you have good intentions and, and it's okay. I don't, yeah, you're right. Where is this going? This is therapy with John. Yeah. That's what this is becoming. Yeah. But I'm the person with the bigger mouth. That's more likely to offend people than you, Scott. So don't, <laughs> Yeah, my wife tells me that. She's like, you need to not be so opinionated because... You need to be less John. Be less... <laughs> be you, but not so much like you. <laughs> uh, when you said that the store owner came over and gave you crap about painted... Or having an unpainted army, that reminded me that whenever I post a picture of me playing a board game, like with my friends, I get so many instagram dms about how my models are unpainted like 80 percent of the messages are like gray army what the heck man i thought you painted more minis and i was like oh jesus christ <laughs> blackstone fortress <laughs> ah! oh yeah blackstone fortress hate like none of it's painted i mean well, it's painted at like one percent of it's painted but oh boy i get it i definitely get it on instagram yeah it's it's tough it's it's you know Start doing the math about how long it takes to do stuff. I mean, it, it adds up quick. It adds up quick. And you don't have a lot of hours in the day to paint every single hate mini. God, how long would that take? There's a bazillion in that box. I think when we're talking about tabletop standard, we're kind of we're kind of putting this in a box. But I would say a majority of painters, so at least 51%, this is this is the standard or the way they paint all the time. This is the way that I paint the cool, my cool minis for my D&D campaign. This is the mm. way that I paint the minis for my Zombicide game. This is the way I paint my minis for my Warcry Warband. It all applies because it's not a self-imposed, I need to get every mini done in an hour. But I've got a lot of minis. I got a D&D game, and I know we're going to be fighting some manticores next week. I need to get two manticores done before the game. So I'm. it's not necessarily that... I'm, I feel anyway, people don't put an exact hour amount on it, but they want to keep it succinct enough to where it's fun still. Cause I'm going to tell you what, the, the more you draw out and set expectations and how awesome it is, the less fun it can be. Um, but also feeling of productivity in your painting that look, I just backed that uh, Reaper bones Kickstarter and I got 498 minis coming. <laughs> I need to be realistic if I'm going to get a one quarter of those ever painted uh, that I can't be spending 10 hours on each one. I, th I think yeah. that that's really a majority of painting is in that realm. I think really for most of us, unless you're painting for either what I would call display quality. So to display would either be something for whatever reason you really want to put a ton of effort in to, to push yourself to become a better, you know, high level painter from your miniatures you 
you don't give yourself a time limit or for a competition or something else, emotional connection or a gift or whatever. Outside of those really few situations where all of our painting is done in the vacuum of TTS, it's just somewhere on our personal scale. That's, that's a, a point I'm going to try to convince you is truth. And we'll see if those sprues and spruettes agree with me in the comments. Do you think that that's true? Do you think that that's most of our painting falls under this umbrella? Yeah, I mean, the majority, I mean, if you just think about the majority of miniature painters, most of them probably play Games Workshop. And if they're mostly playing that, a game, they're probably painting at tabletop standard. Um, I mean, if you had to ask me, like, out of all miniature painters, what percentage are exclusively display painters and what percentage are exclusively TTS? Um, it, there's definitely more that are painting TTS than there are display. Um, but that, that's not necessarily groundbreaking. So I don't think that's what you were trying to convince me of. No, I'm not trying to. I think it's just more of awareness when we're talking about whatever topic it is related to miniature painting that the tabletop standard somewhere on that, that graph, wherever you fall mm -hmm. is that's where we all fall. Most of us fall 98% of us. I would say 2% only paint for their highest, highest quality every single time. Oh, like of all the paint jobs that you paint. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. There are some that paint exclusively display miniatures all the time. Uh, 2%, 5%, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I certainly don't. I paint like one miniature a year. That's like the best miniature that I can paint. <laughs> um, and the rest is, is speed paint, tabletop standard, something like that. Some, some version of that. So, yeah. yeah. I'm convinced. And I, no what, what other thing I want to mention on that is that, and I, I don't want to give this impression. So I'm just going to, I'm going to pull out my Scott and make sure I'm not offending anybody is, <laughs> <laughs> 3d printing <laughs> um oh no you're doing it again <laughs> um when i say painting for a tabletop standard when i say painting with some self-imposed time limit on your paint job i do not mean that is a lesser form of painting i do not yeah. mean that, that 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 if that's how you're painting that you're not trying to get better and that you aren't becoming a better painter because you're only painting this way that's not true at all i'd say that um, for most of us, we get better because we paint in this quicker style because we simply can get through more minis and we get through a full cycle of a finished product to learn something more often. Yes. So I, I think it's very important. In fact, I'll usually go through like the six month span, three to six months where I'm painting stuff for Adepticon. And, and when I do that, that's all I'm painting is the best I can paint. And then when I'm done with that, I, I don't paint anything like try hard mode for months. And I just, it's like what I'm doing right now. I'm knocking out all these D and D minis. I'm knocking out stuff for my army. I'm just painting for whatever fun. I'm painting Jareth's cod piece. Um, <laughs> and I feel like I've gotten better and learned more in the, th in this couple of months since Adepticon than I learned by painting the 150 hour dragon. It's just cause I'm getting more reps in. And I'm thinking about how I could paint this to look better in still a quick amount of time. So, right. And it remind you know, reminded me of that one artist you told me about who 
made the claim that you know you spend twenty percent of your time finishing eighty percent of an illustration, and then your the eighty percent of your time is spent refining and finishing that last twenty percent. So the question is: is if you got to eighty percent done on the portrait? And you just stopped and moved on to the next thing and just kept doing that over and over and over again, you would like finish air quotes like five times as much stuff. I don't know what the exact math is. Um, if you just kind of went through that. So yeah, a- absolutely. I agree with what you mm-hmm. said. Um, it's, it's a good uh, practice uh, both mentally to say I'm done. This is finished and to move on and also a good, uh, practice for like your hobby and your skill set to be able to finish things and to repeat the process more quickly. Absolutely. And it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing. I mean, maybe not for everybody, but I feel it that it's a hard thing for me to tell myself it's done, put it down. Unless mm-hmm. I have some reason that I need to be done. If it's because I need to play the game or it's because this is for a video and you need to get it edited and it needs to get out in a week or whatever, stuff like that. Like, you've set reasons why it needs to be done. Otherwise it's hard. Um, but that, that getting that 80% done and putting it down and telling yourself, I'm going to get better by starting the next one. And every time I do the 80%, the 80% gets a little better. I get to fold in a little bit more in my 80% because I'm more efficient with that 80% instead of mm-hmm. worrying about that last 20. And so maybe that's what we need to re- remind ourselves of. It doesn't mean I'm a worse painter. It means I'm actually helping myself get better quicker by not spending so many extra hours in that last 20%. Okay. Excellent. We did it. We, we solved tabletop standard painting. Other than the, <laughs> the fact- problem that did not need to be solved has no, been solved no. by your two favorite assholes. <laughs> <laughs> it is the, it really is, um, you know, probably a tangential biggest thing that people want when it comes to miniature painting that's why they're watching videos why they're subscribing to people's patreons that's why they're watching people on twitch so they're reading articles so trying to get better quick they want a quick result that looks better and that's what we're talking about right get better faster make it look cooler quicker that's that's what we're talking about here and um and so it all falls under this big old soggy umbrella (laughs) All right, that's it for the topic for today. We got some news. John filled it up very nicely. First one, a lot of your local game stores are open for curbside pickup and delivery and shipping if they do that. Um, A few in the area do do that. And if that is the case, you should find them on Facebook and you should start buying things through them again because they probably operate on pretty razor-thin margins and might not be able to survive uh, the pandemic that we find ourselves in right now. So if you're able to support your local game store via ordering for curbside, you should do that. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, in wherever you're at in the country or in the world right now, like restrictions are different. And by the time Mm -hmm. this podcast goes live, maybe you can walk in there and God, that would be sweet. And you can walk into your local store and do it yourself or they have some kind of three people in the store rule or whatever, but find a way to support your local stores if you can. Um, so yeah, I just put that on there because a source, the place where we shot the video for with, with the Rex flex Baraboo, (laughs) uh, they're offering that you can order online and curbside pickups. So if you're in Minnesota area, I think, cause I got to come up 
and uh, drop off the video cards for SD cards for this episode. I think I mm-hmm. might. I think I might place an order. Uh, yeah, it worked out great. I ordered some green stuff. I went and parked, and guy came out and dropped it off. It was fantastic. I'm just going to find some excuse of things to buy. I think I might buy... You're really good at that, so... Yeah, <laughs> I think I need to buy some contrast paints because I don't own any. So. Do you... Okay, you should get the ones that are super pigmented. Like, Flesh Terror Red is a very rich red color. Um, big fan of that one. Um Sigor brown, super rich brownish reddish color. There's there's like I don't know like eight or nine that are just incredibly rich that you can thin down to make thinner if you want to, or use them at full strength. Um, but they're great. Full strength. Uh, All right, what's our next news here, Johnny boy? I was gonna. I don't remember if it was next on the list, but I wanted to talk about um the scale seventy five Kickstarter. Instant colors. Instant colors. All right. So let's see. They're in their last. I mean, it, by the time this podcast goes live, they will have um, completed because there's only 19 hours to go from where we stand right now. Mm-hmm. They're at uh, over $600,000 on that Kickstarter. And as we mentioned last episode, it is their version of Contrast Paints. Yes. And I could get their full set for like a hundred bucks. So I'm just like, gosh, $8 a bottle for Games Workshop contrast paints. Or I could spend a hundred bucks and get all these. This is significant. The first thing I think about when I'm like, holy cow, $659,000 for this, this range. Um, the first thing I think about is, Okay, these guys didn't have like a huge PR rollout for this they, where they teased this for like three weeks or more beforehand. The first time I heard about this was when it, when the Kickstarter came out. I'm sure they had some kind of teasers on Facebook or something in like newsletters and stuff like that, but it wasn't as massive as Contrast Paints like month-long teaser campaign yeah. about what Contrast Paints were. So how much money do you think GW made on Contrast Paints? Uh We'd say like Dude. like the first, they had this called like the first like three months, right? Because that's basically what this is. You know, over time, I think over time, contrast make more than this will make because of GW's sure. reach. But in a, like the initial three months, I don't think they made this much. What? I think they made $10 million, you dude. Think so? I think they made five to 10 mil. Oh. Easy. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe you're right. Really? You don't you don't agree with that? Okay, yeah, their markup on those $8 pots probably cost them a 80 cents in in actual but, product. So, yeah, that's a big markup they probably are. But yeah, I mean, also GW is like the biggest company. They got their greasy tendrils everywhere. They were pushing it so hard uh on their YouTube channel they were doing it. Like, man, I can't imagine. They they made a freaking killing um a lot of i want to see them do a kickstarter that'd be so interesting <laughs> god i think yeah i want it like so over the top of a company that does a kickstarter just because it's it's just ridiculous at this point um yeah. scale 75 should, this shouldn't be a kickstarter it's ridiculous no. this company doesn't need this this is not required for you to you know sell your product to get funding no. to make this product a reality hell they're <laughs> these are gonna these are gonna mail out in like two months they're already made <laughs> why did you need a kickstarter then that's not anyway um yeah big money in painting 
I still have to decide if I'm going to do this or not. <laughs> anyway. I'll do it. Then you can just. Yeah, but then I just feel bad because then you have all the contrast paints and you have all these paints and then I have nothing. All right, so we're enough talking about these contrast hoodwinking copycatting some bitches. <laughs> some bitches. All right, okay. Next thing, I just added this uh, a couple seconds ago, or a couple minutes ago. Uh, there's a thing going around right now, and this is kind of related to our hobby, but um, that there is a, a charity going on right now, a charity campaign going on right now to through Twitter to play Dungeons and Dragons with Mark Manginello as well as some of the other uh, famous D&D game designers like Chris Perkins Um, and you get to bring you and a friend to fly out to Seattle stay in a four four star hotel and you get to play Dungeons and Dragons and it's going to be videoed and all this kind of stuff and you can register to win this. Um, you don't have to spend anything, but then, then if you spend, if you donate money to the charity, you get more tickets. So mm. it's like twenty five raffle. Yeah, it's a raffle. So okay, um, I can't remember what the charity is. I feel bad, but um, it was a good one. <laughs> it's a good charity for sick kids okay. or something or puppies. I don't know, something. <laughs> Somebody deserving gets the money. Uh, obviously, this is going to be scheduled after uh, you know travels restrictions are lifted and, and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff but i really want to do this i really really want it i want to win so bad oh did you did you do donations or did you just enter in no no i i donated some money to put my nice. get my name in the hat um because i feel like my true calling in this world is to be a nerd celebrity and that if i got to meet mark manginello in person he'd be like john you're hilarious you're handsome you're great <laughs> you're a great painter you should be in every fantasy movie that Hollywood makes from here on out. Um, <laughs> and I want to... Well, okay, step one, step one to meeting Mark Manganello is that his name is Joe, not Mark, and his last name is pronounced Manganello, not Manganello. So you got to get that right or you're going to piss him off a lot. <laughs> Whoever edited this document <laughs> screwed it all up. Okay, yeah. Joe Manganiello has a he plays with like the like the bassist from uh freaking Chili Peppers? Oh my god. No. What's the what's the band that plays the song Killing in the Name of? Oh, Rage Against the Machine. Rage Against the Machine. He, he plays with he plays with that guy, lots of actors and yeah, yeah, Vince, Vince cool. I follow him Vince Vaughn on, uh, on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, there's more nerds coming out of the woodwork. And that's sh- uh that's going on. It should be going on for another month or so. So if you're listening and you want to donate and maybe get your chance to fly out to Wizards of the Coast headquarters and play some Dungeons and Dragons. With um, Mark Manginello. With Mark Manginello. <laughs> uh, it's actually, this is all a, a, all a spoof. And like, it's, it's <laughs> they want you to think it's the real Joe, but it's actually, <laughs> it's just like this, this guy that works at a pizza place in Portland. <laughs> hey, it's Mark I like Mang- looked up Mark I was like, do you have a brother? Like, like, yeah, his brother could be doing it too. I was like, no, there's no Mark Manganiello. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's talk about a cool video that you showed me, John. This is a life-changing video. And I don't, I don't want to get into too much detail with this because this blows my brain. And um, why, Let's get into detail. Why not? Why not? Um, as it's a heavy topic, 
Oh, okay. Uh, is it? Okay, the, uh, yeah, the, you go. Also, first of all, I need to give credit where credit is due, and that is that uh, our good buddy, Vinci V, was the one that introduced me to this painting video. We'll, we'll link it below, and it's by a Russian painter by the name of Dmitry Fisheko. I'm sure I... Fisheko. Fisheko. Yeah, that's it. It's pronounced Mark Manginello. <laughs> <laughs> And this dude is an amazing painter and he paints in oils and yes. his, it's a full video of him showing you how he paints his sister of battle battle in oils. And I didn't tell Scott this, but we had, you and I had this exact same reaction having watched this. And what was that reaction? The reaction was this looks so significantly easier than painting in acrylics and it makes me sad because oil paints are nowhere near as perceivably accessible as acrylics so no one uses them so it's like i could make a video about painting with oil it's like one video but it couldn't be my workhorse paint range because people would just be like i don't use these these videos aren't helpful to me can you please use the ranges and in, in, in materials that I have available to me so it's more applicable? So it's like this forbidden fruit that I can't use because it would I'd make videos that weren't as valuable to people. I just put simply. Yeah, I think, and it's weird if you go back and look at the history of of this hobby. Where at what point was it that the acrylic paint what became the the standard? Because a lot of folks, when they started, and a lot of paints that were accessible uh, early on in the history of miniatures were enamel paints. Mm -hmm. Those shiny, shiny enamel paints for your <clears throat> model cars and stuff. Yeah, like Humbrol and stuff like yep. that. But why did it go to acrylics? Well, it went to acrylics for two reasons, I think. I'm making this up, so who knows? Um, <laughs> two reasons. One, cheap craft paints in a variety of colors at places where people recognized, remembered that they existed, like your local mm -hmm. craft stores. And those were widely available even back in the, you know, in the eighties. And number two, when the first manufacturers of paints for specifically for games, you no know, like games workshop, like initial paint lines, um, they were acrylics because acrylics are easier to deal with for somebody that is not artistically inclined. Yeah, absolutely. Clean up with water. Okay. Simple. And, you know, they kind of work just like you did finger paintings as a kid in school or when you did painting in art class in school. You know, very rarely, and even in high school, did anybody do oil painting in school. There's a lot more levels of complexity. And it's not even that it's complex. It's not that it's all that difficult. It's just more foreign. It's more nervous. Yes. I need things like mineral spirits. And I, yep. you know, it's, it's just, I can't just wash it out with water um there, there's uh, the the way that it works is different than um kind of how i'm used to like markers working right because that's a big thing i think about when i think about like acrylic paints acrylic paints is a lot more akin to coloring with a colored pencil or a marker you put down the color and it dries right away and so it's easier for us to make that jump so somewhere along the lines it was decided that we use acrylics because it's it's an easier barrier to entry meaning we can sell more of the products that's my thought 
So in this video that we are introing, <laughs> yeah. Dmitry Fasechko shows, it talks about oil paints. Um, and the video itself is so, it's a gem. It's a, it's a, it's a diamond in the rough. Because uh, like this video could have easily been just a professional in the field, just sitting down with a webcam and just pulling stuff out and talking about it ad lib. But it is not. It is prepared. It is scripted. The, the order of, of, of the video is thought out. He talks about the tools and materials you need to talk to, to use to pull it off, considerations he has, and then shows you the entire process start to finish painting a model with them. I talk, he shows you how to set up your palette, the, the considerations for that as well. It is, it is a fantastic video. It's long because it's so thorough. Um, I watched the whole thing start to finish um, and I was amazed. And just the, the blending process is the closest thing to magic that I, I imagine in any, any video being someone who uses acrylic paints to paint miniatures. It's amazing. All right, last news item for today is Games Workshop stores, web stores are open, and I understand that Australian and American stores are reopening in the next week or so. Is that right? Did I see that? Uh, USA are open now. I, I just saw this announcement in my email inbox, and I went out to their store, and I could order. So I think nice. that means that we're set for the rest of the world. So you can go out there. You can't buy more than three pots of any particular color of paint. That's a weird limitation. Yeah. So you can't buy 50 null noils. Oh, well. There goes my plan for the weekend. Right. Taking a bath in null oil. God damn it. Yeah. I, I, when they sent out this announcement, they said they shared what the top 10 web order paints were since they <laughs> opened in Europe. Because um, they've been open in Europe at like for like a week at this point. And number one was null oil. Can you, can you guess what numbers two and three were? These are paints as well? Yeah. Uh, Games Workshop paints. Number one, null oil. Number two? Uh, uh, I'm between two. I'm between Abaddon Black and I'm between that and the Brown Wash. Agrax Earthshade? Uh, that one, yeah. Agrax Earthshade was number two. Okay. Abaddon Black was number four. Oh, okay. Number three. Number three. I mean, going with the theme here, I'm gonna guess it was probably. Uh, I'm gonna guess it was probably. A, I don't want to say it's a wash because not a wash. How about, how, not not a wash. Oh, because you're giving me that hint. Okay, black is huge. Screaming skull. No, I don't even think that was the top ten. All oh, right, shit. all right. <laughs> so when I'm I'm painting a model, there's always primer. There's always a part of this that I always need to paint, and I need a certain kind of paint to paint this bits. Okay, is it texture paint? Nope. Is it green? Is it liquid green stuff? Nope. Is it certain you always need to paint a particular part of the mountain? I mean, is it? It's not white because their white sucks dick, dude. The serum. One of their whites was on the top ten. I was like, what the? F People are living lies. Let me tell you. Yeah. All right. Um. I, I don't right. know. Give it to me. It's a metallic. Oh, lead belcher. Yep, baby, lead belcher. Okay. Rounded up top three. All right. I wasn't surprised. Uh, there was like one or two contrast paints that hit the top 10 too. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So that is it. So that's a good sign. More. We got physical stores. Our local stores are opening for, for pickup and delivery and web stores and GW stuff. I mean, 
I'm hoping by the time that this podcast goes live that the factories will be all up and running and getting them sweet, sweet, stupid-ass elves out of the way. <laughs> Get out of here. I want, I want some giants. Uh, I want some I want, some, I want that, that soul blight, you know, hidden picture that they sent with the arm and the sword. It's not soul blight. Dude, somebody on, on uh, Facebook put a put a picture of that and the old metal Vlad mini holding a sword. And yeah, I know that. They looked like almost the exact same sword, dude. Come on. No. Vlad's dead, dude. Dude, his sword lives on. The soldier. I mean, maybe. I mean, if it was Vlad, he'd be wearing the ring of Von Karstein. So if he's got a big fat ring on his hand, then it's might be Vlad. The hand looked an awful flesh eater cordy to me, which just bummed me out, but <laughs> We'll see. Yeah, we're talking about a teaser that recently came out that looks vampiric or undead at the very least. Yeah, it, um, and me and John here are, are uh, living on a prayer that it's a vampire, <laughs> but you know we're in denial. It's it's definitely a flesh eater court arm. Dang it! Um, but that's it. All right, welcome to the end of the podcast. Thank you for spending an hour and a half or so with us, letting to us talk about. What do we talk about? Tabletop standard. That's what it was. Yeah. Amongst other topics. We appreciate your time and your patience. John, how can the good people support us if they choose to? If you choose to support us, there are a number of free ways you can do so. Um, Mm -hmm. The first of which is to tell your nerdy friends about us. I mean, the more folks that listen to us, the better. Um, The more that we get shared across the, the realms of the interspace, um, <laughs> the more likely we'll get um, advertisers like today that will want to uh, advertise on our podcast. And then, you know, that supports us and for no cost to you. Um, mm-hmm. As well, you can leave uh, reviews on Apple Podcasts. You can share us on your social media. Um, if you want to support us through monetary ways, there are ways to do that as well. Um, we have sweet merch with more merch coming in the somewhat near future. We got to talk about that later, Scott. Um, <laughs> Uh, we've got shirts. Uh, we got long sleeve shirts. We got short sleeve shirts. We got men's shirts. We got women's shirts. We do not have baby shirts. Oh, um, missed opportunity. Yeah, it's just you know you just put your baby into an empty Games Workshop box and make a little sprue jail for him. Sprue <laughs> jail. Um, it's good parenting right there. Um, you can also support us on Patreon. We have a Patreon account uh, where you can, for just a couple of buccarinos a month, you can um, help us out and support the podcast. And by doing that, you get some some goodies. Um, you can uh, get access to the after party, which is an mm. extended version of the podcast. Uh, every mm. single episode, another thirty to forty minutes of podcast, we talk about uh, a favorite mini that we found somebody else has painted and why we love it and what we learned from it. We also critique one of our patrons' minis um, each episode, so you can send in your minis and for us to critique, and we'll go over things you did well and things to improve on. Um, we also talk about something new that we've tried in the hobby recently, something in the world of painting or something related to painting, and what we've learned through that, and maybe you could try it. Out out as well and finally you can through our patreon you can give us suggestions of what the heck we should talk about in a future episode many of our podcast topics are based off of our patrons ideas and so 
you can you can join the ranks of your name being sung live on a podcast episode. <laughs> Anthony Rossi. Rossi. Um, oh, we also have the Facebook group, so you can hang out with us in the Facebook group. That is free. You don't have to you don't have to spend money uh, to join our Facebook group there, but talk with other sprues and spruettes and share what you've been working on and get some advice and learn about all the goodies in the realm of miniature painting. Absolutely. That's going to be all for the end of the podcast. Thank you again for listening. And next time we'll catch you in, a f- in one fortnight from now on the flippity flop. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>